Hey, fellow community, happy December. If you're new with us, we exist to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, Philo Conference all year round. If you don't know what that is, yeah, we'll get around to talking about it. Anyway, you're probably loading in that lighting rental, finishing the set build. It's that time of year. Rehearsals are going to start soon. Crunch time. It's now. Uh, You heard me talk in the last podcast about kind of making a plan to survive Christmas this year. And I'm not going to repeat that. It's still important and might be too late to come up with a plan. But hey, it's never too late, right? Come on. Glass half full kind of a thing. Anyway, what I was thinking about is how easy it is to miss the meaning of Christmas in all the crazy. And I wanted to share a practice that I've been doing for Advent over the last few years. So a few years ago, I was just thinking, man, I really need to remember what's important about this season and why I'm working so hard and what's the point of the whole thing. And so I bought the Kindle version of a book called God is in the Manger by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it's a collection of notes, letters, and sermon excerpts that all talk about the advent of Christ. Somebody compiled it. I think it's $3.99 on Kindle, super cheap. Anyway, each day, a very short reading section that was easy to digest. And in the hectic schedule of Christmas, it was the perfect thing. And so now I just do it every year. And yeah, it's just a great reminder in the middle of all the insane schedules that why am I doing this? Help me a bunch. And I think it would be worth it to uh, give it a look. If you're listening to this in real time, it's December 2nd, which is only the second day of Advent. Just started yesterday. So jump in. There's still time. Okay. Let's talk about our podcast guest today. It is Robert Scoville. He and I go way back to the dark recesses of 2007 or 2008. I mean, I mean, the first iPhone. I think we met before that. Whew, the Stone Ages, am I right? Over the years, Robert has been really a huge support. First, when we were doing the Willow Creek Arts Conference, and then Gurus of Tech, and now Philo. And there's not much more that I love than a good sit down with Robert. I mean, I feel like I just want to be taking notes the whole time he's talking. I mean, he has great life experiences. He's got fun stories. He's rocket science type smart. And sometimes it seems like I should get depressed about how far short I fall, but mostly I'm inspired to do more and learn more and just try to be, you know, my own version of Robert Scoville. Awesome. Anyway, We had a great sit-down conversation. We recorded it early in the year, and we were kind of getting ready for Philo Anaheim. And so we talk a little bit about that. But yeah, anyway, let's get right to the conversation with Robert. How's it going, Robert? It's going great, Todd. How are you, man? Yeah, yeah, doing all right. Good to hear from you. I'm. Uh, we were just uh, talking before hitting record. Uh, we're getting ready for Philo Anaheim. And so we're very busy over here in Philo World. So yeah, I'm sure you're busy. I, I mean, I, I was really, I walk around kind of in amazement at Philo this year, you know, just kind of thinking, man, this, this grows and gets bigger and cooler yeah. every single year I come here. I mean, it's such a cool event. I, I, yeah, I just you. cannot recommend it high, highly enough. You know? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It, it's crazy to me this year, for whatever reason, seemed bigger and crazier than anything I've ever experienced. And I don't know that the numbers were like radically bigger than the year before, but it just seemed like it tipped into a different category. Yeah. Um, in a good way. Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing I love about that conference, cause I go to a lot of conferences, you know, mm-hmm. and you got this really kind of high energy going on at Philo, but it's not frantic. Okay. You know, it's it's cool. Like, you know, there's not people running around like chickens with their heads cut off going, oh, my gosh, we need video over here. You know, it just it just seems like just high energy, which which speaks volumes to the the people that are working Mm -hmm. that and kind of the crowd that goes there. That's what they need to learn. You know, how do we do production without being frantic? You know, so. Right. So it's kind of a nice underlying message, you know. Yeah. Good to hear. I mean, I I have a. I don't know if it's an axiom or some sort of uh, rule to live by, but one of them is never run anywhere uh, yeah. when you're in production mode. Like running just sends the wrong signal and it doesn't really get you there that much faster. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, you know, it's exactly what I teach and kind of preach to guys who are going to be, you know, working around the stage or, you know, if I'm on tour and working with a crew, I mean, that's kind of our mantra as well. When, the minute you're running, 
the sense is something's desperately wrong. Right. <laughs> right. You know? As opposed to I'm on the case and I'm going to go fix that. Yes. You know, especially going out on stage during a performance. Oh, I mean, gosh, please don't run out on stage like some sort of ninja out there. Just right. calmly walk out, fix it, and walk off. Walk and, with purpose. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. I figure if you're running, why am I not running? Should I be doing something more? What's <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. You're sweating. Should I be sweating too? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So. Well, you know, the artist can kind of go, should I leave the stage right now? I mean, this looks important. <laughs> should I be concerned? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, that's... Uh, Great place to start. Uh, so you've, you've been on tour. Uh, I would love just maybe to, uh, for those people who don't know you, so the Philo uh, listening audience is all kinds of technical disciplines. Uh, so not just audio, but lighting, video, graphics, all the different things that people are doing in church. So yeah, there might be some people who have never heard of you before. Why don't you give us just a little uh, refresher course on kind of what you do and how you got there? Can I just send them to robertscoville.com? You could, yes. Send- Perfect plug, yeah. The bio is there. <laughs> the bio is there. The CV is there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the long, uh, or I should say the Reader's Digest version of the story is uh, I've been doing professional audio since I was about 19 years old, mm. which means, uh, what, let me do the quick math You're there. 29 about, now. Yeah, 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's 10 years of professional audio. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's about 40 years of oh, wow. audio, which is too much for anyone. Honestly, you gotta, <laughs> you know, you gotta stop at some point. But, right. But, you know, I was, I, I, you know, kidding aside, I, I was really, really lucky to kind of be in the right place at the right time and, and take advantage of that and get involved in it at a pretty high level at a really young age. You uh-huh. know, I, I, I kind of marvel at it sometimes. I look back on it and just go, you know, think, you know, it's funny, me and my wife were sitting on the couch talking about this the other night. We were we had just had our wedding anniversary and we were kind of recounting, you know, when we met, you know, and, uh-huh. you know, I was thinking about the tour that I was on, which, I, you know, I, I hadn't even, I had just come off of working for Air Supply. I guess was oh, probably wow. About, okay. I don't know, maybe 1985, somewhere around there, 85, okay. 86. And I was just in the process of And I didn't have it by any stretch at that time of getting the Def Leppard gig, you know. Okay. And, you know, which was a huge, huge deal. I mean, it was a a humongous moment in my my career for sure. But I was thinking, wow, I was 26 when that happened, you know. Wow. I was like, wow, I wonder what a lot of other people are doing when they're 26, man. I I mean, you know, to be out mixing that kind of tour. So, right. uh, So, you know, I was was very fortunate to get exposed to it at a very early age and uh, was smart enough to kind of parlay that into a career, you know? Right, so, right. Maybe, so uh, I've been doing that and, you know, I've spent about the last, gosh, this is hard to even say. I just can't <laughs> believe it. You know, almost 20 years now working uh, with a manufacturer on console design. Oh, wow, 20. You know, yeah, it's almost 20 years now. I, I mean, you know, officially as an actual employee, I, what are we at? Fourteen years now with Avid slash Digidesign when I, right, when I right. joined them. But I worked, you know, behind the scenes there for almost four or five years as kind of a, I guess, I, kind of a super consultant on the design. You know, sure, right. So, so you know, bringing the venue product to market. So right, you know, that right. was that was a really exciting thing. I never in a million years you know thought I would still be working there, but you know, it's that's really given given me some purpose that I didn't know I was going to have in my life. You know, I've, I've been able to have a really big impact right, right. on what's going on there and kind of what's going on in our industry as well. So that 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 felt good. That was good. Yeah, was right. Stuff. I want to say uh, uh, when we, last time we recorded our conversation, it was uh, with video cameras uh, for Philo 2017, I believe. Sounds right. Uh, yeah. And we, uh, yeah, just kind of talking about legacy that particular year and, just the idea of virtual sound check is your thing, the thing that you kind of your brainchild, the thing you were doing in an analog world that you yeah, helped yeah. transition to a digital realm. I mean, I, you know, when I started doing that, I, I never in a million years envisioned that that would be a, you know, in a product <laughs> right, right, right. let alone kind of, you know, just kind of disrupt the entire industry there, (laughs) you know? I mean, it was all about making my life easier. I I didn't care about anybody else, you know? Which, you know what, now that you say that, so much of uh, the really cool things that that people come up with are usually coming out of that space. Like, I'm not here to make money. I'm just trying to make something that I think is cool. 
Oh, and then it, okay, it happens to make money. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, that was. I mean, that whole design. I've told the story of that a, a few times. You know, was really just a survival mechanism for me. I mean, that was that was a way to survive a very difficult working situation there in terms of you know doing the job well. So right. that, that's what that was born out of. I mean, you know, talk about you know need being you know or what is it necessity is the mother of invention right, that was right. absolutely true there yeah know? it was uh, i was working at a church this past weekend and uh as the technical director and they had done a virtual sound check uh for the saturday service and then the lighting guy was using it to check the time code on all sure. of his lighting looks yeah it was like and then while that's happening the audio guy's kind of tweaking a few things and yeah, oh, especially just, so with multimedia now. I mean, to be able to do, you know, to be able to anticipate and do real, real work like that. I mean, it's so important, so important. And, and we're going to get to it, to that stage even more so. I'm, you know, if you want to head down the first rabbit hole here, you know, yeah. with the concept of you know immersive PA deployment now, you know, virtual sound check is going to take on a real new meaning there. Uh, in terms of being able to program and prepare for right. an immersive environment, you know, and then there's a whole another depth of recording that's going to be needing to take place there for post. You know, if we're going to go into post and recreate the that environment yeah, space, right. then we well we can't just record audio now. We got to record positional metadata on that track oh and where goodness. it was in the room. I, you know, it, you know, like I said, you know, I, when I first conceived of this, I never dreamed these sort of things were going to be there. Right. It'd be necessary, but you know, as you work with a manufacturer and you start to see it, you know, I mean, through my work with Avid, I'm, I've been exposed to Dolby Atmos and you know what that all means, and it's like, well, okay, that's stuff we could use in live sound. Let's move that over here, you know, blah 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 blah. Right. So, you know, it's just exposure and and trying to leverage it. Yeah, it is interesting too, just thinking about so much of maybe traditionally, so much of what we do as technical people it requires the content to be there. The band needs to be there. You need to play through your songs to where now, like, okay, thank you. We're, we're done with you now. Okay, well, now we're going to spend hours really dialing this thing in, <laughs> which you couldn't do before. You had to kind of do it, you know, in real time with everybody. Right. Uh, but As a matter of fact, I, I mean, on the, in the touring world, it's, it's the vice versa of that. It, it's where it is the savior, where when the band comes in, you, you know, you can actually re totally respect their time right because you can use a previous virtual sound check to completely prepare for their arrival right as as opposed to letting them get there and then just being completely reactionary and go oh wow this needs to go over here and then, oh i got to route this here right, now and, right oh this needs that effect on it you know whatever it's going to be you know which at that time you really should be concentrating on making sure the band is settled in making sure their needs are being met as opposed to all the work, you're, the busy work you're doing on the right, console. Right. You should be able to get all of that out of the way before they ever walk in the door. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So amazing. Great job. <laughs> hey, thanks. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, one thing, uh, just g maybe jumping back, rewinding in your story to kind of that, you know, you're working with Air Supply, which I heard them on the radio the other day. I'm a huge Yacht Rock a genre fan and they uh, yeah. they came on. I'm like, man, I haven't heard an air supply song in forever. Um and uh anyway, the, the I mean, so to jump in as a teenager and start getting these jobs, okay, part of it is, yeah, right place, right time kind of thing, but I got to believe there is something about uh you and what you brought to the table that uh, made it easy for easier for people to say, "Hey, Robert, why don't you come on and join this thing?" Do you think that there is something there that you've carried with you all these years that is kind of a, a key factor for you or? Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I, I, it's funny, we're, I, I can't, I mean, it's like the, all the stars have come into alignment that we're talking <laughs> about these things. The guy who gave me that first job was just in town here probably oh. about a week or so ago and we had dinner and we were kind of recounting some of this stuff. But, you know, if I look back on it, if I had to say, okay, that's the one thing that got me over the hump, it uh -huh. was persistence. Okay. Absolute per dogged persistence because, you know, no kidding. I, I mean, I flopped out of the gate. I mean, you know, I was going, <laughs> I was studying at the time. I, you know, I graduated high school when I was 17 and okay. went immediately to a technical college. I didn't take a summer break or anything. I enrolled right after I got out of high school. So I was studying toward a double E in electronic engineering. Okay. And I mean, I, at that time, I mean, that was 19, you know, 78. 
that's how I thought you got into this business, you know, was knowing that piece of it, you know, sure. little did I know at the time. But at the school, a local sound company uh, in Kansas City named Superior Sound uh, had put up a flyer that they needed labor, basically. They needed sure. help uh, doing these weekend gigs. They would do these weekend parks series gigs where it was uh, in this place called Brush Creek. They'd set up a huge stage there, big PA system, and it was a free event that you could come down. I mean, okay. literally 15,000, 16,000 people might show up on a weekend to see Pat Metheny or... Okay. Kansas City Philharmonic. For free. Or wow. For free, yeah. yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears, you know, whatever it was going to be. <laughs> and so I, I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer and go down there, you know. So I volunteered, went down. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I'll tell the whole story here just so people can <laughs> really, really understand how bad I was. Here I am, an electronics engineering student, right? Oh, uh-huh. But I had no practical knowledge of what I was doing out there. And it one of the guys I was working with, he used, he, he still ragged me about this to the day I, till the day he passed away. We would always talk about this thing. He said, "Hey, go hook up these wedges out there, you know, and get these monitors hooked up. We're gonna have four right across the front, two back here, whatever, you know." Uh-huh. So I was like, "Yeah, no problem, I'll do that." So I hooked up all of these monitors. It was probably eight wedges to one side of one amplifier. Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, it was probably pretty close to a dead short in the <laughs> amplifier. <laughs> and, of course, blew up the amplifier, you know. And, oh, gosh, what are we going to do here, you know. So that, yeah, that was my first entrance into the gig, you know. And, um, you know, and, of course, looking back on it, you know, it, even after I had done it and I thought about it, I was like, oh, my gosh, we study this every day. You know, this is impedance loading. On blah, you know, right, it's right. part of classwork every day. And I, I just completely blew it. <laughs> So needless Literally to say, they, it, yeah. they didn't invite me back the next week. Okay. You know, I was not on the call sheet. You know, I was, I remember being at my apartment and kind of hanging out, waiting for the, you know, kind of the call thinking, oh, I, I know they got a show this Sunday. I want to go down, you know, no call, no call, uh-huh. no call. And I, I just got in the car and drove down there, <laughs> grabbed my gloves. Awesome. Yeah. Persistence. Went down. Yeah. So just showed up. And of course, you know, everybody had seen me the previous week. So they thought I was on the call sheet, you know, so I just <laughs> showed up, worked. That went on for three months. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the entire season. You know, I, I you know, I never got on another call sheet. I would just show up, do the work. You know? And by the end of the kind of the end of the season, by the last month of the season, they had had such a high turnover of people. You know, I was kind of like the senior guy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but had never been on the call sheet. You know, <laughs> so the. You know, the, I mean, the the end of the story is this, you know, so that summer season goes by and I obviously make lots of friends uh, in it. And the company is having their end of year Christmas party. <laughs> so I get a call to come to the Christmas party. I'm like, great, I'm, I'm in. They're going to call me to the Christmas party. So I get to the Christmas party and kind of the one of the main managers of the company was there and, you know, I was there and he was looking at me and, going, and I, I guess I don't know this, but he, I guess he said to somebody, Hey, who is that guy? Is he supposed to be here? You know, oh no, that's Robert. You know, blah blah. blah. And then somebody told him the story, and he, you know, he had the epiphany of, oh my gosh, we haven't. This guy has just been working for free for three months here. So, you know, they gave me this nice little. I mean, it was it was the moment that I knew that I had arrived. They gave me an anvil briefcase, you know, Ooh. just kind of as a gift, you know. And I remember thinking, oh. That's it. I'm in. That's why Dude, you I'm, do it. <laughs> I've arrived. Yeah. Look no farther. It's happening. So. Oh man. And then I, you know, I've stayed in touch with those guys forever. You know, I mean that right. that crew that crew of guys and that that group of guys. I mean, I still stay in touch with them all the time. And you know, and as it turned out, I mean, I'll I'll finish it with this thought. As it turned out, you know, I mean, there was an incredible set of mentors there for me. But I mean, highly technical guys, two okay. guys who were very professional. You know, in the industry, I mean, I luckily I kind of hooked up with a, a regional powerhouse sound company there. I mean, we did lots of shows, and I mean, without that, without that first move, without that first seed being planted, yeah, I don't, I don't make it. I'm still sitting in Kansas City, probably working at fast food or something. I don't oh, know. Oh wow, you know, yeah, it is. It is amazing just who you are and how you're wired up, and then circumstances kind of converge to create your life story. I mean, I I think everybody listening probably has. Those same things where it's like, if it wasn't for that person, I wouldn't be doing this thing or... Oh, you know. yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I can I can kind of pick probably about a dozen hallmarks and put them on like a little bit of a timeline and go, yep, if that doesn't happen, then I don't get to that one. If that doesn't happen, I don't get to that one. I, I could easily do that, you know? 
Yeah. Jumping back a little bit to your electronics engineering course, did you ever finish that or... Uh, and maybe <laughs> did it did it come in handy or is it just well it, it was totally my secret weapon okay. without a doubt it was my secret weapon even though I failed miserably at my first test of it <laughs> because you know I mean I, I I just not to bury the head the, the headline here but I, I did not finish I did not get sure. my degree okay but you know what that all gave me was the language. You know, okay. I absolutely understood the language and even kind of at the circuit level, I understood what was going on inside a console and all this stuff. You know, I'm, even though I didn't have the degree that said I knew that stuff, sure. I knew that stuff. Okay. And, you know, the, the moment happened for me where I made that decision because I, I had always come to that school with thinking I want to get into music production. But, you know, it didn't take me very long being there to kind of realize nobody's actually going out of here and going into music production. You know, they were all going to to work for Honeywell or Bell Labs. Sure, or, right. You know, any of these high-tech companies, you know, and I was thinking, well, wow, nobody's going to work at a recording studio here or, you know, right. nobody's going to work at Electric Ladyland. What's happening here? <laughs> so through my work with Superior Sound, I had done some weekend shows and uh, I got hooked up uh, I with a country artist where I kind of filled in for her, uh, for her guy because okay. he had gotten sick at the show. And they asked me actually afterwards, they said, hey, can you, can you just stick with us for a little bit? You know, I, he's going to be down for a little while. Maybe you can finish out this little run of four, six weeks, whatever it was. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, right. sure, sure. So I did that. It took a little leave of absence from school to that. And I came back to school. And I remember at some point just kind of doing the math. And I was looking at, you know, we had guys that were like some of the highest recruits out of the school. And I was looking at what they were getting from Bell Labs and Honeywell, like I said, all these companies, sure. IBM, in terms of starting salaries. And I remember thinking, well, wow, that's that's half of what I just made in this six weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm just like, <laughs> I, okay, I, I'm not going to graduate. I, I can just, I knew at that moment I wasn't going to graduate, you know. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously, in, and still to this day, even though I, I work for a manufacturer, I've never been asked <laughs> for my college credentials. Sure. You know? I mean, it's just, it just never part of the deal. It was always, can you do the job or can't you? So. Right. And I would say just maybe from my own, I, I went to college, I graduated. It has nothing to do with what I'm, a, you know, production or anything. I just thought, you know what, this is kind of what's expected of me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to graduate. And then when I'm done... I'm doing my own thing. And so, yeah. uh, so much of the production life is about getting in, doing it, trying it, failing, learning, doing it again. There's stuff to be learned in a book. Well, and, and recognizing your shortcomings, you know, I mean, you certainly yeah. have to evaluate your skill set and go, wow, I need yeah, to right. learn about that and, right. and go do it. Do I regret going to college? Absolutely not. Like yeah. I said, that was my secret weapon. That was the thing I carried around with me that probably... It got me over the hump so many times. Like, like I'll give you another example. I mean, this was a, a great example of it. And, and it's a very different time now. You know, in 1979, 1980, around that time, like, if you wanted to get a job with Shoko, okay. you know, like, if you wanted to walk through the door and get a job at Shoko, you had to be a crown authorized service repairman. Like, you had to have that skill to be able to repair a crown amplifier and have the certificate saying you knew how to do that. Okay. You know, and I working at Superior Sound when they weren't doing shows, they put me in the tech department. I was repairing phase linear amplifiers, repairing Yamaha amplifiers, repairing crown. You know, I mean, you yeah. had to get the certification to do that. So, you know, once again, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had not gone to school. Sure. Right. No way. So, you know, again, it wasn't wasn't necessarily the reason I made it as far as I did, but it, without it, I probably don't make it. Right. Yeah, I think the for me, it's it's more... Having a college degree in something doesn't make you necessarily ready for it or good at it, but school definitely helps if you already have the desire, like for you to, yeah, like I'm going after this, some school's going to help learning, but I don't need that to succeed here. Well, and, and we make this mistake all the time in audio schools today. Uh, and we're better about it now today. I, I will give them credit where credit is due. Uh -huh. We're better today than we've ever been with it, but man... It, there is a serious temptation to confuse education with experience. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it, and it happens all the time where we'll say, okay, someone is educated. Let's take them out and put them in this situation. It's like they don't have the experience to be in that situation. Right. Just, just like I didn't my first day. Sure. I, I mean, yeah. I had the education. I just had no practical experience doing it. And, of course, 
completely screwed it up. Right, right. And, and, you know, I'm sure those guys were looking at me going, wait a minute, aren't you an engineering student? How could you do something so dumb? You know, but it was just like I didn't have any practical knowledge of it, didn't have any practical experience of it. So, you know, it's a textbook example of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so an air supply, Def Leppard. I mean, when we last talked, it was Tom Petty. So you're persistent. You you know kind of uh, stuck to your guns. You you volunteered for an entire summer uh, for a job <laughs> that was not volunteer. So as you got to work with these uh, with different artists, uh, you know from the country singer to uh, some of the bigger names, as the front of house engineer, like how did you just kind of sit in the seat and do your thing and let them do their thing, or has it been some other secret ingredient to? you know, moving from band to band and bigger names and bigger opportunities? No, I, I, I got a hard lesson in this. I, I recounted this for Nathan Lively uh, not long ago on one of his podcasts. I got a hard lesson in it in the early 80s when I, had, I got an opportunity to work with John Mellencamp. Okay. And if you don't know the story of John or, you know, his background, I mean, he's notoriously a very, very tough guy to work for. And he certainly was at that period in his career. And and I did not survive the gig. The gig I got fired from the gig. <laughs> oh wow! But you know what it what it taught me uh, without question. I mean, it was just crystal clear at that point that my reason for getting fired honestly had nothing to do with my technical skills. Oh wow! It had my it had totally to do with my ability to manage the artist. You know, you know, kind of to deal with them on the creative level, on the personal level, blah, 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 blah. And my inability to do that is what undermined my, their beliefs in my technical skills, you know? Interesting. So it was like, you know, when I, when I really stood back and evaluated what happened there, it was like, wow, that's, that's a function of how I'm interacting with that artist, you know, not, you know, I can, I can do the gig and, you know, not to just recount the whole story, but, you know, I got fired from the gig and I, I, was given the option, and I kind of lobbied for the option, to stay on the tour. Okay. So, uh, okay, I'll take a little sideways movement here. I'll go over here and work. And I, what I ended up doing is becoming the assistant for the engineer. Okay. And, and because it was a knife's edge transition, I mean, you know, we were going from one rehearsal right to the next, and the next right. guy was going to be there, okay. and he's going to take over. So, I, you know, I had to kind of be there to kind of you know, kind of dovetail those two things together. But what I took really, really close notes on is like, okay, well, all right, you know, I'm watching here. I, I got all the technical skills that this guy has got. Why is he surviving here? Interesting. You know, and it was how he was interacting with the the artist and, you know, kind of the the respect that he gave versus the respect that he commanded and all of that kind of thing, you know, and it was really an eye-opening thing for me. You know, it really was. And, and when, I, I, I went, I looked at every gig differently from that day forward. And was it something that you, uh, that someone told you about that you didn't totally get? Uh, or was it something that, yeah, you saw this person doing it, which no, is yeah, what the I, light bulb I, went on? I saw them doing it. And nobody had to tell me. I, you know, you, you, I mean, you have to take a very, very honest, frank look in the mirror and say, yeah. If that was me out on stage, I would have fired me too. <laughs> you know, right? Because you know, I mean, I, and I, I empathize with John in that situation. I hopefully I I have this right. You know, I mean, this was right when he broke really big. Okay, I mean, really big. This was the Uh Huh tour. This was Pink Houses. You right. Know, all okay. of those things. You know, I I mean, I had done that tour as kind of a band guy, and then came back for the next tour as an engineer mm-hmm. for Scarecrow. So, I mean, he was going to be at the pinnacle of his career at that point, you know. Right. And he needed to be able to walk on that stage and know, I mean, without a doubt in his mind, that this was going to be great. Totally. There's no time to, you know, help the young guy along and make sure he's okay and we'll grow together. It was way (laughs) past that time. Right, right. Right. I mean, he needed the guy. Yeah. And, you know, and I just I just was not the guy. I, I mean, I wasn't acting like the guy. Okay. I certainly wasn't sending the signals to him that I was the guy. You know, I mean, all of those yeah. sorts of things. You just, and like I said, if you can look at look at yourself really frankly in the mirror, you can see that and kind of go, okay, all right. Yeah. You know, you have these people on stage, they prepared like crazy, hopefully. They prepared like crazy. They have their thing down and it all sort of funnels down to, Video and lighting too, but you know, to the front of house engineer and what they're going to do with it. And if there's a lack of trust there, then yeah, there are problems. 
Yeah, it's it's trust and it's a belief. You know, I again I experienced this many times over the course of my career. But, you know, and put yourself in their position, you would probably want to feel the same way where they want to believe that you are as accomplished and as great at your gig as they are. Right. Okay. Yeah. A, a, if not better. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to supersede their insecurities, you know. You know, if they think they're a little shaky at something, you know, they're not necessarily going to reveal it. But they want to believe the guy who, you know, is the umbilical cord to the audience yeah. really has it together. Yeah. Like that guy's going to cover me for all my, right. in, you know, my inabilities. So, you know, when that, when that is not in play, you know, psychoacoustics are a very interesting thing. <laughs> you know, they're very susceptible to being told things and believe things and hear things that really are not even happening. But, right. you know, they, you get, that insecurity builds that susceptibility to that. Yeah. Yeah, man, I think too, when you can't, uh, when you're up on stage, you, you're not hearing things the same way. If you have in-ears in, you're definitely not hearing things yeah. the same way. And yeah, to believe that your best is being put out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so key. It's, I, I mean, not to circle back to it, but it's one of the really goldmine features of virtual soundcheck. I saw it happen with Tom Petty where, you know, the first time he discovered that we were actually doing virtual soundcheck, this was way before it was ever a product, you know, uh -huh. or right around the time we released it as a product. And he was able to come out and actually listen to how his music was being presented to the audience. I mean, yeah. that was the first time he's ever been able to hear that. Yeah, right. You know? Normally, he would have to be on stage playing it but and not be able to come out and hear it. So right, right. for him to hear that, all of a sudden, you know, and it was, it was a, that was a groundbreaking moment for our relationship. I mean, we moved to a completely different level after that moment of time wow. happened. And, you know, from that moment on, he and the band went on stage and they were just very different performers on stage. I mean, they had a level of confidence and a level of freedom that they just did not experience before. You know, that anxiety of, oh, I wonder what is, is that happening out front? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, they right, just right. knew that was not going on, you know, so yeah. it, it washed away from their mind and the performance. Yeah, it's one thing to hear, uh, to, to experience from the stage what's what you're seeing people, how they're responding. But until you are out there, yeah, how do you know? Yeah. yeah. I was uh, uh, talking to a technical director at a church uh, locally here in Chicago, and they do virtual sound check. And then they, he and the worship leader and the senior pastor sit down on Monday in the room and just turn it on. Yep. And talk about, you know, because we want it to sound a certain way. And so, yeah, let's just f figure out if this is if it's sounding that way. Um, it, it makes it collaborative. And it, and honestly, it, it should be, as long as there are some boundaries in that, it can be totally collaborative there. Right. You know? And, you know, but I'll, I will say this, as an engineer and a mixer, you better be pretty confident in who you are. Right, Because yeah. you're, you're going to reveal it to everybody right here, you know. Right. And, and in the church world, I think that's super powerful, especially when you have volunteer mixers, because right. you, can, you can evaluate you know, their abilities with nothing at stake. Right. Know? On yeah, Sunday, there's a lot at stake. Yeah. I think, too, just the to open yourself up, this is something that it took me a long time to learn. Like, I'm very protective of my mix uh, because it's a part of me. And if you don't like it, uh, I've got a problem with that because you, I think you have a problem with me. And so, you know, there's so much to, <laughs> to get over in that, you know, opening yourself up to, yeah, let's sit down and critique this mix. Yeah, that's a tough place to put yourself. But something like that is such a key relational builder. Yeah, to be a team player, to be, hey, I want the best for the whole thing. So let's, yeah, let's critique you know, it. it. It speaks to this conflict uh, that has been around in, this, in our business for a long time and is even more pronounced now in the kind of digital world. And that is this, this conflict of, well, are you a work for hire or are you paid to create? Okay. It's almost like you've been paid to create a mural on a wall. Right. right? But the customer kind of goes, I don't know if I like the blue on that thing <laughs> yeah, over here. Right. I, can we, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. No, that's my vision of the mural and it should be blue. You know, right. so there's this conflict there that can be in place, you know, whether it's like, and, and I think, honestly, I think the church struggles terribly with this, uh -huh. of thinking of that engineer as a taskmaster, you know. Right. Or, you know, I've, I, it's been a little harsh, but it's not far from true where I've caught, I've, you know, we look at audio guys in the church as janitors, you know, they're audio janitors. Right. Yeah, yeah. Turn yeah. on, turn on the sound, please, you know, and, 
you know, it's just not that position, especially the guy behind the console. That's not the position. It has to be at minimum collaborative, you know. Right, right. Collaborative. Yeah, I think uh, also on so many levels, especially when talking about audio, but even lighting and video, I go to a lot of places where no one's ever talked about what should it sound like? What do we want our, the characteristic of the mix to be? Right. And so the, the audio engineer doesn't really have anything to hang on to. Um, so now the whole thing is subjective because no one's talked about what we want it to be. Well, you know, and, and audio is such a dark art anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's so yeah. mysterious, right? I mean, even just what you just said there, it's be like, well, what do you mean? What do we want it to sound like? Right, yeah. I, I want it to sound great. <laughs> you know, I, 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 but yeah, I mean, we laugh, but End that's of discussion. Exactly kind yeah. of the discussion. It's like, well, but that's, that's where the skill of the audio person, you know, has to come to bear there where yeah. you kind of have to think in terms of options. It's almost like going to a home decorator. It's like, I want my house to be beautiful. Right. Well, what does that mean? Do we want to go Tuscany here? Do we want to go with this? You know, right. what kind of color motif do we want to put in play? You know, I mean, as the engineer, you kind of have to present those kind of, you know, right. mindsets. I mean, do we want to have a really forward, you know, impactful, dare I say loud, you know, mix going on here? Or do we want to have something that's a little more ambient, a little more, you know? Right. Those discussions need to take place and, and that expectation needs to be set. Otherwise... Yeah the expectation is never going to get met. Right. And there's all kinds of discussions that can take place there. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've talked about this in my mixing seminars and my PA seminars of, well, are we trying to present something that is more localized and sound reinforcement? Right. Or are we trying to present something that is a full-blown, you know, like control room-like mix out of the PA system, you know, right. which is really kind of disconnected in terms of localization to the stage. You know, I, what yeah. What are we trying to create here? And I, I think the church has kind of been caught in the middle ground of that sometimes by trying to go to the silent stage. The silent stage has pushed everybody to now they have no choice but really to do a full-blown production mix. Right. As opposed to something that is more sound reinforcement, localized. You know, I hear something, but I, it, my attention is drawn to where the person is on stage. You know, Right, so, right. But, you know, the, the average listener, the average person is not even thinking in those metrics, you know. They're, right. They're trying to focus totally on what they hear, you know. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, for a church not to have a conversation about where, what it should sound like, you're doing a disservice, well, to your whole church, but also that person sitting behind the console, staff or volunteer, they're only getting talked to uh, on a good day when things are going poorly. Um, right. And right. so the, the thing that I love about figuring out what do we want it to sound like. Now we have something to talk about that's concrete and we could talk about, hey, you really nailed this part of what we want it to be like. I mean, you, you've given some and handles for positive reinforcement instead of just, I don't like how it sounds. And I, I think more importantly than any of that is that you have a vision to defend to your congregation if they're critical of it. Sure, right. Right, now you, have, you can explain to them, well, this is what we're trying to create here. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, well, I, I, you know, I don't know. It just seems loud, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Now for you, for you with, uh, like say with Tom Petty, for example, was there conversations like that about sorry, we wanted to sound dogs. this way? I'm sorry. Dogs no problem. Yeah. Crazy. Dogs are make, uh, make for entertaining that's, podcasts. That's Gibson and Fender in the background. There, oh, nice. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> One's real bright and, uh, and kind of clangy and the others like got a lot of. Yeah. One's got attitude. The other one's pretty chill, you know? <laughs> One's got a really good clean sound. The other one's really distorted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're they're definitely. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kind of no, no, it's no problem. Sorry, go ahead. What, what you were saying. Uh, the Sorry. question. Uh, so, with uh, like Tom Petty, did you have those conversations of we want it to sound this way, or was it kind of like we want it to sound exactly like the recording? Oh, it was. Well, it, we never in Tom Petty land. You never wanted it to sound exactly like the recording. Okay. I, I mean, th th that band just didn't. I mean, they didn't play it like that. I mean, sure. you know, every arrangement was different. But you know, the thing that we landed on, and it takes time to get this. I, I won't lead you to believe we we discussed this in the first week. Right. Uh, because you know that 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 discussion started out with, well, we just want it to sound great. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> let's let's tunnel down a little bit. Uh -huh. um, but you know, especially given the the length of his career. And, you know, again, there are kind of some pretty, you know, 
evident markers of music production changing throughout his career. Right. You know, I thought it was important to, that we not necessarily go back and try to make it sound just like Damn the Torpedoes, but there are some signatures to the sounds that they were going through there that we we need to honor in the live performance. You know? Right, okay. There's some signatures to the drum sound. There's some signatures to the guitar sound. There's some signatures to the vocal sound that we should honor if you're going to do those songs because people are going to gravitate to those things, whether, whether they know they're gravitating to it or not. If you don't honor them, it, it, it disconnects them from the song a little bit. So I, I kind of right. had to make my case for that to Tom, you know, okay. where... Because he was, he was a little more like, oh, yeah, just let it be what it's going to be. Let's just keep it organic. It's like, well, okay, we can do that. But uh-huh. let, me, let me submit this idea to you. What do you think of this? I said, because, and especially once we got to digital consoles, I was like, we can really do this now, where we can right. kind of go back and honor an era and a sound a little bit here, you know, and, and make this really interesting throughout the night, you know. So as opposed to, you know, the same... The yeah. same vocal slap and the same snare drum sound and the same snare drum reverb every song. It's like, hey, let's let's put some detail in this, you know? Right, right. Put some thought into it. And so before the days of virtual sound check and, you know, Tom being able to come out into the room and hear, his, you know, what you're doing to his music, like, were there moments where you're thinking, I really could use X, Y, and Z from the band. I'm not just not getting it, but I'm not sure I can go say something to them. Or, you know, were there moments you had to kind of take a risk and well i had the luxury of especially in that camp i had the luxury of they recruited me okay meaning meaning you know they had heard about me and blah 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 and their management uh, was actually kind of chasing me for a a period of years before i went to work for them okay you know finally the kind of the the stars aligned and i was able to do it so that gave me a, a little bit of leverage going in there you know where i i didn't i i felt like hey i could do that but you know, and I've, I've told this story a million times, but I learned, you know, that that was going to be a process that was going to take time. Okay. And that was respect that ultimately was going to have to be earned over time. But by the same token, it, it didn't stop me from going back there and saying, hey, you know, are we sure we want to go with Les Paul there? I mean, I, really, let's go back to single coil there through the AC30. That's sure. You know, and, and, you know, over time, you know, Mike especially really started to appreciate that, you know, because again, it's, it's a perspective thing. And I, and I think all musicians go through this, uh, performing musicians go on through this where when they're putting sounds together, they're not thinking mix, right? They're thinking, Oh yeah, that'd be great to play that part here. You know, blah, blah, blah. That, that guitar feels good. That neck feels good. Right. You know, they're they're thinking those things. So somebody has the, has to have the perspective of, okay, this is the part I, that part you're playing, this will be really well served on this guitar and this amp combination. And let, let's try that. Let's try that. Right. And, you know, that, again, that's, that's respect that is earned over time. You're not going to come in and just be a tyrant and, you know, say these things have to happen this way. Right. But, you know, over time, if you're right enough times, you know, you'll be given the benefit of the doubt over time. You know? Right, right. I mean, I give you the antithesis of that story was, you know, my fourth day on the job, I asked Tom to change the vocal mic. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't go over well. (laughs) (laughs) How many years did it take to recover from that? uh... Uh, It took a full tour and a half, (laughs) a full tour and a half before I was able to make that change. So, yeah, I mean, even something like. I I unquestionably knew it needed to change. it, It was no doubt about it, but I blew it so bad in the first four days. I had to live with it for a good tour and a half before we got it to change. So. Yeah, part of that is even uh, I learned over the years just to say, hey, can we try something? Like, I don't want to like mess this up totally or forever. Like, can we just do an experiment? Um, which feels like a lot less weighty of an of a question, you know, of an ask from somebody. Yeah. But, yeah, just like, hey, just can we try it out once? And if you hate it, we'll stop, you know, but um, just giving uh, the people a, a less uh, heavy option to choose from. Yeah, that even that didn't really work very well <laughs> in the petty camp. I learned why over time, but you know when they're in their rehearsal mode or they're in kind of that is a full stop for them. You know where they have to okay, we're going to stop and experiment now. Really, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm not here to do that today. Yeah. You know, so you, you had like if you were going to make that play, there had to really, really be some gold at the other end of it. Right. And like it better not just be, 
you know, okay, well, that's like 2% better. Yeah, okay, whatever. Right, you know, we just right. wasted an hour doing that. You know, that, that, that would not be, that would not go over well. You wouldn't, <laughs> you, you know, that would shut you down in terms of future experiments, you know. So right, right. You, you had to be on the money. You know? Yeah. Interesting. And I think uh, maybe going back to what you're saying about like this song would be perfect on this guitar with through this amp, you know, from a guitar player's perspective. I think it it kind of goes to just reinforce that most everybody's kind of working this out for themselves. They're not thinking about how it's going to affect the engineer. They just want it to feel good and sound good to them, which I think is something that took me a while to wrap my brain around that uh, they have no idea what would be best for the mix unless somebody says, hey, this would really help the mix at this moment. Well, I think, uh, I think in, I'll use the Heartbreakers as the example here, which is may, maybe a little bit of an outlier, but, you know, they are exceptionally great at doing that, meaning picking the right sound for the right, right part. I okay. mean, just exceptionally great. But that said, when you've been playing one song, you know, a, a particular song for 20 or 30 years, it's like you get bored playing it on the telly. Well, let's let's right, try it around right. this. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so you you know, as the mixer, you had to be the voice of reality there go there to go. Okay, well, I know it's fun playing that, but it, that really does not work. You know, I mean, it's not honestly, it's not as good. Uh huh. You know, like you gotta you gotta relieve that a little bit for a moment and say, look, I know it's boring to play that guitar. But <laughs> that's what works. You know, right, that's right, what works. Yeah, I just I have such respect for people on tour playing the same songs night after night and delivering them. Yeah, uh, I, man, I don't know how how I would survive. You know, the what I, gear I would get into to make it amazing night after night. Well, they they were a great example of it. That of I, I and I, I will say this: I, I don't think I've ever run into a band that has problems with that. It's amazing what can happen when an artist, you know, steps up in front of a microphone in front of a big audience to play a song that they know that audience knows. There's there's an energy connection that happens there, right, right, that just makes all of that boredom and stuff go away. It, you know, then it just energizes the performance. It's an amazing thing to watch. The flip side of that, which honestly is the fuel for designing virtual soundcheck, was that. <laughs> To ask Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to do American Girl in a sound check right. or at a rehearsal, <laughs> yeah, forget it. Yeah. Forget it. Uh-huh. I mean, they might do it, just just limp through it to go, yeah, we all remember it's verse, chorus, verse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's going to be meaningless to you in terms of trying to build a mix and getting something you can predict. Right. When I kind of came up with the, the light bulb moment for virtual sound check, that was it. I was in rehearsals. With Tom, we had been rehearsing for four or five days, Ooh. and I had yet to hear a Tom Petty song. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was just their clubhouse. They would just come in, and they were just getting to know each other, playing covers, blah, 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 blah. But I knew at some point they were going to run through a set, and I, was, I, I might get one pass of the songs before we do it in front of an audience. Right, wow. So over a weekend, I just kind of went... We've, I've got to come up with some way to record this when they play it so that I can get back in and work on it. I mean, that it was literally that fast. Man. Yeah, I think that uh, I was uh, working, uh, filling in at a church over the weekend, and we, we ran through the worship set too many times. <laughs> you know, just yeah, over no and doubt. over and over again, uh, which I know is a luxury that most places wish they had. But you know, I just kept thinking, why are we doing this? But, but yeah, you can we get to tweaking. a point of diminishing returns. You yeah. can absolutely get the band to the point of diminishing returns where you, where you leave the best material on the rehearsal room floor. Right, you know? right. No yeah, doubt about it. It's definitely no an interesting dance of like, we want to know this so well, I'm not thinking about it while I'm doing it. But yep. um, yeah, but I'm, I'm not overdoing it so that I'm now I'm bored with it all. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. As Tom has famously said, sound checks can only break up the band. Let's not do them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I guess as long as people are still buying tickets because the mix doesn't suck, then yeah. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> oh man, oh, so funny. Uh, I really appreciate you taking some time to have a conversation with us. I mean, we kind of uh, went all over the place. I I would be curious. You've got some new projects going on. Uh, I would just love to have you have a chance to kind of share kind of 
where people can get in touch with you, what you have going on that you can talk about and yeah. Sure. I, I mean, look, I'm always available on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, I'm always there. Um, I just recently had the courage and the wherewithal to put together my own website. So I, I finally put together robertscoville.com. It's been kind of a labor of love, but you know, on just to give some context on it, what I'm going to do on that website is put up, kind of make it a portal where you can get to every article I've ever composed, every article I've ever participated in, every podcast, every blog, every endorsement ad, every video I've ever (laughs) done. Uh, Just kind of one-stop shopping for all of that, as well as, you know, I'll post on there uh, all the events that I have coming up. I'll have a little calendar area where you can stay in touch with uh, where I'm going to be at any given moment, uh, whether it's for a concert event or a mixing event or a fitness event. You know, if you want to come and join me for a race sometime, we could do that. Okay. <laughs> but all of it's on there. Uh, so it, it's I'm in the process of populating it all with all the content. I mean, it takes just a lot of time to do that. So, But I try to get some new content added up there every week, and I'm going to start kind of repopulating that with uh, or re accessing it via Twitter where I maybe pull an old article up on guitar sounds from 1988 on the tour and say you can go back and revisit that article if you want to do it. Just give them a link directly to it. So that's all coming with time. Okay. I'm going to have, um, I've started, I I have a couple of uh, kind of blog posts uh, that I've started on there and I kind of address from time to time. I have one called Live Vinyl Love Fest. Okay. uh, That is... uh, (laughs) <laughs> uh, basically just me going to, I have an entire shelf back here. I'm turning around looking at it, uh, you know, of hundreds of live album recordings. Okay. And I just, every morning I come down when I get ready to go to the gym, whatever, you know, I'm kind of having my coffee. I just randomly pull out a record and put it on. And uh, over a period of time, I've just written kind of reviews and uh, it's not really a review. It's just really kind of a, this is what this record meant to me in my life. Uh, here's some, here's some cool backstory on it. Nice. And then I have another thing. So you asked for this. I'm going to give you the no, full No, give list. it to I would need it all. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to start another uh, little uh, blog post called On the Case. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to forewarn everybody, it might be about live sound. <laughs> but, you know, depending on my mood, it might be about the quality of coffee in the country. I, you know, yeah. it, it, the range is just going to be all over the map there. <laughs> but, you know, it's all about me kind of getting on the record for certain things. Uh, and then finally, <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm working on, I've just been kind of rearranging my entire studio and my video little setup here uh, to be able to do a thing that I'm going to call Live Sound Squawk Box. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a completely freeform, very informal thing where I'm just going to basically alert the world via Twitter and Facebook and say, I'm going to be in the studio at Thursday uh, at 10 a.m. Here's the link. Come on by, ask a question, let's chat for 30 minutes, and then rinse, lather, repeat whenever I have the time. Sure, so, yeah. Fun. So that sounds like that should be enough. Yeah, I think. Uh, Between that, that and my job busy. and doing all the other one-offs <laughs> I've been doing, you know, that should be enough, I would think, for a while. Yeah, so I uh, just as you were talking about uh, some of the things you have going on, the uh, the live vinyl love fest, I uh, was just sort of scrolling through all the different albums that you've listened to, uh, that you've written about. And uh, I'm currently on the Buck Owens and his Buckaroos. Yeah, um, man. The Carnegie Hall, I'm going to have to listen to that now. You know, the, the thing to take note on, here, we're going to go down a rabbit hole here. Okay, You, you started it. this. Yep. The thing to make sure and check out there, uh, because we have some technical background here, is check out the audience recording. Okay. The audience recording on that album is just phenomenal. Wow. Phenomenal. I mean, let alone the performance. You think about when that happened. I think it was, was it 68? 66. Like 66, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we aren't multi-tracking back then, you know. I mean, you know, not for any, not live recording kind of things. I mean, just check that out. It'll blow your mind a little bit how great that is. My goodness. And uh, is it just the the quality of the mics or did you ever figure out why it I sounds don't know. so great? You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that that reads, man, when you put it on, you just kind of, oh my gosh, listen to that. I, and, you know, I it's something I've taken note of. I, I love kind of just cataloging this in my mind. Like I can listen to a record now and kind of go, yeah, that's an English audience or oh. yeah, that's a European audience. <laughs> okay. Nope, that's a Japanese audience. That's an Oriental audience. There, you funny. know, even versus an American audience. And you, you know, you, in my mind, I can even catalog it down to, 
Yeah, that's a 70s, 80s audience. Interesting. Yeah, that's a late 90s, 2000s audience. <laughs> you know, there's you can hear it just... There's just a different energy in it, different different meaning. Interesting. To them. You know, it's, if you listen to enough of it, I've listened to just hundreds upon hundreds of live recordings like this. You know, yeah. so I you wonder start to kind of catalog it in your mind. Yeah, I wonder if the Buck Owens, because it's at Carnegie Hall, and I'm guessing they're all playing acoustic instruments, or are they were there some electric? Oh no, there's. I mean, Buck Owens is going to be electric, no yeah, doubt okay. about it. Yeah, just I'm curious how how much the room. I mean, I probably had a lot to do with it, but. That Carnegie oh, Hall it's, is a unique space. I mean, I have so many recordings like that from Carnegie Hall, and they're all wildly different. And I, I mean, I've done yeah, shows right. in Carnegie Hall. It is that is a fantastic sounding room, right up until you put a live amplifier in it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then it all just goes really, really poorly from that yeah. moment forward. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so. Nice. All right. So robertscoville.com. No E in Scoville. No E, two L's. So don't don't let that fool you. And then yeah, I'm guessing that if they just search for you on Twitter and Facebook, they'll find you. But uh, yeah, awesome. It's been so great catching up. I mean, I always love uh, chatting with uh, with you, Robert. I almost had some uh, some coffee going in my special uh, Philo mug, but uh, didn't have time to. Dude, that Philo up. mug was <laughs> money. Man, is that thing great? Yeah, I, I just started using mine recently. It's uh, for those of you who can't see, which is all of you. Um, we have these <laughs> Ember mugs, which is uh, like a an app on your phone, and it charges the this uh, this mug and keeps your coffee at a perfect temperature. Which mine is. You can one. adjust the temperature of your coffee mug with your phone. Yes. I mean, let's just consider that for a minute. You know? So I'm at 138 is my perfect temperature. <laughs> is that your perfect temperature? And um. The thing that I notice is I it's mind blowing. I I uh, my coffee lasts so much longer because it's not cooling off and I have to hurry up and drink it before it's totally stone cold. Um, I mean, how did we survive before this? I mean, <laughs> how how I did know. the world actually keep turning before this happened? I, mean, I don't know. That maybe the comment uh, the the topic of our next conversation will be life before ember mugs. <laughs> or could maybe be a whole podcast series <laughs> coffee the effects yeah yes. coffee when it coffee used to effects. get cold yes, yeah <laughs> sounds like uh, i need to talk about this on the case i'll get there you go the <laughs> i'll I'll, uh, I'll join in that conversation for sure <laughs> nice all right thanks robert todd always great chatting with you man and thanks again yeah. for the invite to philo this year it was really great, Had a great yeah time thanks here. for coming appreciate it all right buddy see ya thank you man bye-bye Robert is so gracious uh, to when he's talking about Philo. Just one more reason to love him. He is so great. Uh, I love all the little bits of gold in this episode. I mean, kind of at the beginning, he was talking about persistence was kind of his key takeaway, first learning. You know, that whole thing where he's showing up, to, you know, volunteering to do this thing, and he's practically running it at a certain point. I also love that trust between front of house engineer and the band leader, how important that is and that the band leader knows that you've got their back all the time. Yeah, that's so key. So don't forget to check out Robert's website, robertscovillenoe.com. I actually did listen to the Buck Owens and the Buckaroos live at Carnegie Hall. Oh my gosh, it is, I'm not a country music fan, but I listened to it. I may, may or may not have listened to it multiple times. The musicianship, the recording itself, so amazing. All right, robertscovill.com. And I think... Coming up uh, next month, uh, he'll be with the MXU crowd in Anaheim. And I don't remember the date, but it, you can go to mxu.rocks and find out how to sit at the feet of Robert Scoville, Pooch, Jeff Sandstrom, and Lee Fields. Anyway, it'll be a good time. Also, don't forget to look into God is in the Manger by Dietrich Bonhoeffer just to get reconnected to the meaning of Christmas. I think you'll be glad you did. All right, hope Christmas is great for you, your team, your church, your family, and yourself included. For those of you who listen to the Philo podcast that would put yourself in the audio engineer category, you might be interested to know that L Acoustics launched a new A-series loudspeaker system this year. The A15i and the A10i extend the renowned A-series with new loudspeakers conceived especially for installation applications, which is perfect for those of us working in the local church. 
It has install-specific rigging options, as well as something called PanFlex adjustable directivity that gives integrators everything they need to design laser-precise sound coverage under many conditions. And we know in the local church, there can be many conditions. Mounted on a pole stacked on the Companion KS21 subwoofer for more of a portable church situation or flown in vertical or horizontal arrays for more permanent installs. The new A-Series family combines plug-and-play ease with the exceptional sound quality that L-Acoustics is known around the world for. So to learn more or to request a product demonstration, visit lacoustics.com. That's l-acoustics.com. If you like our podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, blah, blah, blah. So many. Many that I don't know about. But if you get them there, get ours there. You can. Give us a review. We'd love to have many stars because it helps us kind of spread the word. If you follow us on social media, we're at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. Uh, We'd love your feedback, idea for future podcasts and guests. So shoot us an email, philopodcast at philo.org. All right, see you. Wow, the next episode will be right before Christmas. So we'll talk to you then. 